You're listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jangle, the women's source for optimal health and lifelong performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Her Body, brought to you by Body.io FM. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Navarro, and we have my co-host here, Andrea Jingle, who goes by AJ. How's it going? Hello, everybody. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Wonderful. Suddenly, our your summer gorgeous... Just... Yeah, coffee's kicking in, except the sun is not <laughs> out. The sun has disappeared, and it's kind of misty outside. It is... Actually, very typical San Francisco summer, which I'm sad about. Yeah. But yeah, ours is kind of all over the map. Yeah. Well, we have a very uh, special guest today, Dane Wallace. It's one of the Body IO coaches, and if you've probably if you've been to the site Body I, Body IO, you've seen some of his articles. Um, a couple that just recently came out, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, but for those of you who are new listeners, Dane, you want to give us a little insight on who you are and perhaps how you got involved with Body.io and the protocols, carb night, carb backloading? By all means. Uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for the lovely introduction there. Um, so my name is Dane Wallace, and I live up in uh, Canada with AJ. And, it's just uh, Dane and I up here in the- <laughs> Yeah, we're so lonely in the great white north. It's so cold all the time. <laughs> Says it when it's like 30 degrees out today. Uh, but yeah, I stumbled across uh, Carb Acclimating and Carb Night back in 2011, it's like the year I moved back from Europe. I was over there for a couple of years and came back, and that's really when I was getting into uh, taking care of my body for the first time in my life, really, at 27. And uh, I found these protocols, and it really ultimately changed my life. Didn't really ever expect that I would be working directly with uh, Kiefer or a team of coaches like uh, I am now, but it's been uh, it's been pretty fantastic so far. I'm looking forward to all the things we're going to do in the future. So, Right on. And when you first started you know, getting involved in taking care of yourself, how did that transition into what you do now, being a competitive strongman athlete? I mean, that's well, quite a, it's quite a dramatic shift. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's the funny thing about the sport of strongman is that there are a lot of guys who compete in strongman who really do not take care of themselves. You know, mm-hmm. you can picture guys who are just massive dudes, not necessarily in, you know, peak physical condition, but they're, they're really big and they're really strong. And that's what people think about when they think about strongman. But, uh, I'm actually in the 175 weight class and there's a 200 weight class, a 231, a 265. So, um, guys who are in the lower weight classes, it's super, super important to be really lean because you want to carry as much muscle as possible. So the less fat you have, the better. Mm-hmm. And I actually had done a bunch of strongman contests when I was younger in my early 20s. Uh, but I up in Canada here up until this year, we haven't even had weight classes. So I was just, you know, I was started getting into weightlifting and decided that I, you know, I had some buddies that did strongman and I just randomly did a contest one day. And I'm like, okay, this is fun. So just started eating everything under the sun and just <laughs> lifting as heavy as I could all the time. And ultimately it got me to the point where, I was getting injured and <laughs> when I was in a, I was over in Europe after a couple of years of eating nothing but, you know, French fries and chocolate and drinking the beer and doing that thing, I realized that I was, you know, five foot eight, 200 and 
10 pound milk bags. So I'm like, I should probably look into losing a bit of weight. And I had at that point completely stopped competing in anything. I just decided, Hey, it's time to lose some weight. And after a few years, you know, you lose some weight and then a buddy pops out of nowhere saying, Hey man, I'm running a strongman contest. You should do this show. I know you've done it before. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not dabble? You know, one thing leads to another and then you're at the world championships. <laughs> <laughs> and what was, you know, and what, was what was motivating about that for you? Like what, what got you excited and, and want to do that? Was it like the uh, actual the way sport? Of strongman again. <laughs> <laughs> the actual um, event honestly, like, just, that you really liked? Yeah, the actual event. Well, it's funny because, like I said, I'd, I'd moved back to Toronto and uh, I started to, you know, get pretty lean and I maintained a lot of my strength. And uh, I actually decided that uh, I wanted to do something with my strength. That's what in the summer of 2012, I did a powerlifting contest because I was a really good deadlifter. And I'm like, you know what? I can you know, lose 10 pounds of water weight and break the Canadian record for deadlift in the 165 class. So I did that contest. I'm like, okay, sweet. Okay. I've got, I've got some decent strength here for my size. That's cool. And just shrugged it off. I'm like, that was a goal. Good. And then the next summer, my buddy's like, Hey, you're really strong and you should do this show. It's just, you know, it's in Toronto. Why not? So I said, sure, let's do it. And I was just like, yeah, it's in Toronto. It's very easy. So I did it. And then there happened to be a guy there who competed down in the US and knew of the weight classes and was just like, why are you not there? Like you would you would kill people down there. You should really get involved and do this. So, you know, sent out a few emails to some people down there and the next thing you know, they they wanted a Canadian representative to compete at the the world championships the following year. And so they just straight up invited me. And so I think I might have been one of the only people just invited to that as opposed to having to qualify from their national uh qualifier. So I showed up against all these guys who had done, I don't know, <laughs> way more strongman competitions than I'd ever done. And it was a real eye opener. I mean, I was uh, I was in over my head in that contest for sure. But it was a good learning, uh, good learning experience. And uh, it just totally reignited my fire for the sport. I'm like, you know what? I don't really have that much experience, even though I am actually older than a lot of the guys I compete against. So I said, let's, you know, let's see where this can go. And Last year, my second Worlds, after actually committing to the sport for a full summer, I finished uh, tied for fourth in my weight class. So it's fun. I really enjoy it. And I I like the spotlight. I like showing people that I can do things that a lot of people can and that my hard work's paid off. So it's a lot of fun. It looks like it's a lot of fun. I mean, that circus dumbbell is uh, pretty impressive. (laughs) That is, without a doubt, my favorite event. (laughs) If you've never seen the circus dumbbell, can you describe what what that is? For those of, of us who, who <laughs> well, perhaps yeah, haven't seen you, you do this. In the gym. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like a, so you have dumbbells in the gym, which if you get up to the hundreds and hundred plus dumbbells, you notice they're pretty big. Circus dumbbells are probably twice to two and a half to three times as big as those dumbbells. You know, the, the handle's the size of a pop can and they're, you know, two and a half, three feet long sometimes and a foot in diameter and basically you just you can you can pick it up off the ground and clean it to your shoulder with two hands but once it gets there the objective is to press it overhead with one hand um so in you know the the weight of it for the 175 class at worlds was 150 pounds so it's basically like you're pressing your body weight over your head multiple times in a minute and you know you can whoever can get the most wins so it's uh, very very taxing <laughs> and if you don't switch arms it can uh 
you know, leave you a little imbalanced and have a few issues with your right shoulder and not your left. Not that I'm speaking from experience <clears throat> or anything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, uh, it, you know, that's the thing about strongman that I really enjoyed. You know, I started powerlifting and to me it was really boring. I'm just going to say it's you, you go and you deadlift, you squat, you bench. Period. That's all you do. It's just kind of standing around all day waiting to do one thing. And that really wasn't for me. I wanted something more dynamic. And so I think it's a lot of fun when you, you can go out for a day and deadlift a car and, you know, put a, <laughs> your body weight over your head multiple times. And <laughs> Look like a total freak. Carry around random objects. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's just like being in the circus, but a really strong one. Super fun. <laughs> but that's that's kind of how I felt about the difference between doing bikini and fitness. Bikini, like, yes, it's a lot of work and you look great on stage, but you're up there for like 30 seconds for all of that hard work. Mm -hmm. And then when I got to do fitness, it's like, well, now I can actually showcase some skill and talent and like do cool stuff and look good mm -hmm. at the same time. Yeah. And there's just some yeah, a different, uh, different. Obviously, the approach of like training and prep for that is different. But something about just being up there and kind of doing cool, cool stuff. It's really fun. Yeah, it is fun. And I, I mean, I, regardless of of the sport, you know, if it's it's bikini, it's fitness, it's powerlifting, it's strongman. I I always find it pretty amusing that you train for you know how many number of months, how many hours in the gym, how many hours sleeping, eating correctly, all the effort you put into it. And I know for strongman, like one competition, I might be doing over the course of an entire day, like four minutes of actual work. Right. You know, it's like, oh, all right. So I trained for 10 months for this and <laughs> I exerted myself. Not very hard. <laughs> it's it's just, it's really funny when you think about it in hindsight, you know, you put all that effort in and then it's like, it's just over in a, in a flash, but mm -hmm. totally worth it. Well, that's so, good. And as long as it's you... worth it and you know what you're getting yourself into in terms of the exactly. overall prep and the expectations for the actual event. Um, and I think that that's something in, that's important to touch on for those who are just, you know, the difference between a recreational athlete or someone who's just doing it for fun and someone who's doing it as a sport. Understanding oh, you know, the investment that you're putting into the training and the sort of the off season or the time in between the events. Absolutely. And I've had, you know, I, I train, I train men, I train women, I train powerlifters, I train strongmen. I you know I've, I've dabbled with, with all sorts of different people. And, you know, I have people who come to me and they're like, I want a training program for strongman stuff. And, you know, and they're like, oh, I don't want to compete. I don't want to compete. I just want to learn how to do things. And it's like, okay. So, you know, you teach them a few things, do that. And then suddenly it's like, oh, there's a competition coming up in a month. I'm going to do that. I'm like, okay, all right. Like we can train you for that. But they get there and then they expect they're going to do really well. And, mm -hmm. you know, they've, they've learned, you know, a few of the techniques and stuff like that. But, you know, they're still, they're not out there you know, day in, day out, really like recovering properly and doing all the other things externally to really make sure your your training is on point for an actual competition. And then they're disappointed and discouraged after a competition because they couldn't, you know, actually do some of the things and that kind of stuff. So it's when you when you get into training for a specific sport or something, you really have to take into consideration everything that it's you know, going to take to get to where you want to be. You know, it's nice to think, oh, I'm going to be out there deadlifting a car multiple times and, you know, I'm going to prove myself and feel great about myself. But a lot of times if you don't actually have realistic expectations and you haven't put in all the work, you know, it ends up being the absolute opposite. So 
Um, mm-hmm. When you start training for certain things, you you have to go into it with the right perspective. And I think it's really important that you set a base for anything you're going to do and you do it for your own purposes, right? Like you need to have your own intrinsic motivation, you know, know why you're doing something. And if it's just recreationally, you want to go out there and just train every Saturday on strongman stuff. That's awesome because that's a cool hobby. It's something fun to do. It keeps you motivated to go to the gym. Um, but there's a huge, huge difference between actually becoming a competitor in something and doing something recreationally because it's fun. Um, and sometimes if you try and take that recreationally fun thing and turn it into a competition, you can lose that fire pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an interesting balancing point there, and I've, I've seen it go both ways. So you really have to understand why you're doing something before you jump into something you might not be ready for or, or might not know what it's going to bring to you. Right, very true. So, Dane, you know, the one thing I realized, you know, because I know quite a few strong men, um, competitive athletes, and the big difference I see between you and them and I'm just talking generally here, is that you have like a hyper focus on like taking care of yourself and, you know, your success in the strongman world, I think really is, you know, quite very much like related to how well you take care of yourself, where I see a lot of other people in a lot of strength sports that just focus on beating themselves down. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's something that I know I feel that you're passionate about that and just laying the groundwork. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, as I, I kind of uh, mentioned earlier, um, when I was in my early 20s, I was I was that guy. You know, I, I got into, you know, I, I never went to a gym before I was 21. And, uh, and I was 130 pounds, tiny little guy. And then I got, you know, into the gym and started doing, you know, beach body workouts. And that quickly turned into, you know, deadlifts and getting strong. Because I had some friends who did strongman and liked to lift heavy. And I got pretty strong pretty quick as I was immediately committed to it four days a week just like going in and out and doing whatever I could to get bigger and stronger um but I really wasn't paying attention to my health and it wasn't until I said when I was 27 I actually you know realized okay I'm 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 fat like I need need to uh need to do something about this I'm still young there's no reason I need to look like this um and from that moment you know I I went and I, I got my you know my precision nutrition certification and my um CSCS certified strength and conditioning certificate and really really went back to, to my roots. I took kinesiology in undergrad and health studies in undergrad as well. Um, just kind of reminded me of, you know, it's pretty important to take care of your body. And I think that's actually why I ended up becoming successful because my number one thing throughout everything is, is health now. If I put health before anything else, everything else is a lot easier, you know, because good nutrition for health, you're going to be set up for performance as well. Mm-hmm. And if you're you know, not just drilling yourself in the gym all the time, you're having less injuries than if you were before. So for me, everything is about health. You know, I want, I want longevity in not just my sport, but in life. You know, I want to be 60 years old, 70 years old and being able to run outside, carry a yoke on my back. I got it. You know, I, I want to be as able body as possible forever. And I think that that really starts with nutrition and getting good sleep and, you know, active recovery and doing doing all the little things it's all it's also tied in together and I think that's where a lot of strength athletes kind of lose their way um, because they just they think it's all about going to the gym and then crushing as many calories as possible mm-hmm. and not necessarily worrying about the quality of their food or the quality of their recovery or the quality of their sleep and they can lose track of those things and the body eventually is going to break down for that so um, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I mess up from time to time, of course, but 
you know, if I, you keep it in the forefront that, you know, health is going to lead to success in all the other areas that you want want to be successful in, you have to make sure that that is your number one priority because the dominoes will fall in the right direction if you take care of that first. So I think for anybody out there who is, you know, you know, if you want to be elite at a sport, you need to be elite at taking care of your body and they're all connected. So I, I learned that when I was in my, my mid twenties, you know, I'm only in my early thirties now. I'm not an old man and I'm sure I'm going to make lots more mistakes and learn a lot more along the way. But I think that you just have to have a, a good perspective on things and know that, you know, any day you could suffer an injury that's going to be career threatening. And then, then what? If you don't have strongman anymore, you're 31 and then you're fat and out of shape and your body's not well, mm. what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So I think if you, you have your priorities in line, then the rest becomes a lot easier. Awesome. So I think that's an important message. And I think um, it might be a good time to actually talk about some gender differences um, that you've experienced when training um, strength athletes with uh, actual physical training and nutrition. So I don't know, in, you know, even if the topic is things that you find to be consistent between the two genders where there's not that much different is, you know, maybe you've got some stories and some personal experiences to talk about there because we have a lot of females in our audience who like to be strong. Yes, and there are a lot of different yeah. differences, <laughs> as we all know. Yeah. Boys and girls are different. Um, but especially when it comes to strength training, I think the very first thing that comes to mind is overall volume of training um i find that just in general guys can get away with a lot more in terms of if you don't have as good of a plan and you kind of just want to go into the gym and crush yourself into oblivion and then eat a bunch of food and stuff it's it's easier for men to go in and and do that and eat enough and sleep enough for the body to keep up Um, with women if i just found that if you're going into the gym you know four or five days a week and doing your major lifts and then doing lots of accessories and then doing Metcon and keep on going and going and keep on pushing that body. It's very, very hard for you to keep that up um, nutritionally, like to to keep up that exercise level with food. Uh, Eventually, I find that the body just starts to say, no, 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 like we we can't do this anymore. And it has a lot to do with hormones and monthly fluctuations in hormones. And I'm sure the two of you can attest to this, that a lot of times with women as well, they'll come in and they'll just be weaker than they were for, for no reason. And mm-hmm. they'll get really upset and down on themselves. And it's like, you have to understand that, you know, that when I program for women now, I never program based on like a one rep max and say every day, like these are the number of reps you have to get at this percentage. I never do that anymore because a lot of times you'll go in and you're supposed to do five reps at 85% and you can only get three and you don't know why two weeks ago you were able to do that and you think you've gotten weaker and it has nothing to do with being weaker or stronger. It's just on that given day, you know, because of where you were in your hormone cycle, like you're, you're not going to be able to do that. And so when I program for women now, when it comes to strength, it's really based on like a rating of perceived exertion. It's like, I want you to work up to a heavy three, you know, work up to a heavy three. If it wasn't heavy enough, add five, 10 pounds, do another three. And if you think you can't do more than that, then that is your max three for that day. Move on. And then accessory wise, I find women often try and keep up, you know, you got to do your bench, then your back and then your buys and then your tries and then your shoulders and you need to calm down 
less is very, very much more, I find, when it comes to training women. Um, whereas men can get in there and they can really kind of grind and be in there a bit longer and, and get away with it. Um, so I think that's something that's really, really important for women to understand. Yeah, and I think women actually have like a greater work capacity, but it's not necessarily a good thing for us in the long run as, in terms of recovery. So I yes. find a lot of women will want to push themselves and, and like tackle those like, you know, sometimes you see a woman's accessory work and you're like, whoa, this is a lot. You need mm -hmm. maybe half at the most. Mm -hmm. Because they actually physically feel that they can do it. And it's not until, you know, you've been doing that for a few months that you realize you're not getting stronger, you're not feeling better, you're not getting leaner. And that's probably the reason why. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, I've, I've given training to some women and, and they've done it and they'll say after a workout, I, I, I'm not even tired. Like, like I, I can do so much more. Like, can I do more stuff? And I'm like, yeah, you can do more stuff in two days, like yeah. according to the plan. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, what happens. You, just because your body feels like you do more does not mean you should do more. Mm -hmm. No, exactly. And I think leaving the gym when you know you can do more is the perfect time to leave. Like that's Absolutely. that was a big game changer for me riding motocross. Where you know one of my uh, friends, who's a coach for professional athletes, he was like, St "Your last lap is when you feel." like super fresh and super good and everything's still going well because as soon as you start practicing when you're fatigued and you're making mistakes well unfortunately that's you know what your muscle memory is going to remember number mm -hmm. one and there's really no point in training in that state in that sport anyway so you know when I stopped when I actually just took that advice and I was like okay I had how many good laps and I had one where it would just start to shift a little bit that's when I would just call it a day I'm like that was still a good lap and it didn't suck I'm out and that changed my riding completely, like totally completely. And I use that same theory in the gym. I'm like, if I burn myself out, I probably need an extra day rest. Yep. Yeah, for That's sure. Absolutely true. And uh, I, again, it's it's really you know there's 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 individual difference between a lot of people, genetic differences between a lot of people. Um, but as a, I've, I've kind of realized this over the years. It's almost like the bigger you are as a human being, the more you can kind of like grind it in the gym and, and go for it. And the smaller you are, the more it's like, okay, you need to just accept that like less is more and move on. Like that's mm -hmm. kind of what I've realized. And especially even with my own training, I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody for overtraining for strongman. And now I'm well aware that I, it leads to injuries. You know, I just, I just had a PRP injection in my knee and I, Definitely, it was because it was, you know, chronic overuse in my knee. And then one day it was just like, nope, tore. And, you know, there it is. And, uh, you know, I've got an ongoing shoulder problem. And it's, you know, it's, it's just like you, you, need to, you need to know that the human body can only take so much. And if you push it over that limit, it's not going to just recover and rebuild better. It's going to be worse. <laughs> it's going to take a longer time for it to do that. You know, you have to, there's always a tipping point. And right, so you, you want to bring it's it to like that if you edge where you pushed it. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, no. <laughs> you say if you don't exactly schedule the rest, then you're forced yeah. to take a rest because your body's like, okay, if you're exactly. not going to do it, I'm going to force you. <laughs> exactly. So if you, and and that's something that, especially for for newbie lifters, it's it's not easy to figure out, and there's no way you can teach somebody how to listen to their body. It's just something. Thing that takes time and over time you you will get to a point where you'll realize you know after if, if two days after a workout you know you're still like not feeling very good yeah you probably did too much you know and it's it's really touch and go and and over time you just it's 
the one thing that I always recommend to people is to track as much as possible after your workout. Write down everything you did and not just, you know, reps and sets. Write down a rating of perceived exertion. Like how heavy was that? Did that feel for you? You know, how long did your workout take? Um, were there any noticeable, you know, aches or pains or anything sore during it, the workout or after the workout? And that's, you know, when you do, if you do suffer an injury, then you can look back and be like, oh, okay. So I was doing way too much work on that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I broke. Mm -hmm. That's so, why I broke. <laughs> and that's why I broke, seriously. And that's why I can look back. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with my knee until I really looked back on it. And I was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> you could just go through your Instagram feed and figure out what you did to your knee. <laughs> oh, there it goes. That was the moment. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, some of your what? Instagram posts are like, I love watching those videos. They're just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because the day that I did it, that I'm, I'm sure I, I trace it back to this one day, um, I posted uh, a video that day. It was a 300-pound thruster. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's not what did it. It was after that when I was trying to do push press, and I definitely remember trying to do a 300 pound push press and my right knee like leaked forward and off to the side a little bit. Mm. And I had to, and I had to like regroup and then well, I, I kept going, I kept going in my workout too. Like I took a little bit of weight off, did, did a bunch of reps at 275 and stripped it down and then went and did my accessories and blah, blah, blah. And just carried on like an idiot, like I normally do. And then over the course of the next, like, you know, about four days later, I was doing a lift and I was like squats, a little bit of knee pain four days later doing squats. Eh, knee pain and full flexion, you know, five days later, a little bit of knee pain in, in push press. And then every single day after that, it's like the knee sore. Oh, the knee's pain. Oh, I had to take this out because the knee hurts. Oh, it's, no. it's really interesting to go back and kind of trace it back to where it started and make, all right, well, there you have it. Yeah. And this is when you were pre prepping for the, the world. world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and yeah. that's why, you know, the knee hurt, but I was like, okay, well, I've got this competition the first weekend of March, and then I've got another competition mid-April, and then another contest in May, and that would qualify me for Worlds again. So, okay, I'm just going to get through, you know, the next five months, <laughs> and <laughs> after that, I'll get it checked out, which is what I did. And, uh, hey, it, it all went according to plan, you know, finished, you know, tied for fourth at Worlds, and then re-qualified for Worlds 10 months out, so at least that part of the plan went well, and... And a partially torn patellar tendon is really best case scenario for what this could have been. So right. not worried and, about it. And you have perfect downtime now to recover. And uh, so that seems to be going well too, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I had the injection two weeks ago and recovery has gone according to plan. Went to see the physio the first time today and he was impressed with how it was moving already. And, you know, I'm, I've got some, uh, Peterson squats to do now so I'm getting getting a little bit of movement back in uh, in the knee so loading it a bit and uh, four weeks from now I hope I can announce that I'm ready to do something somewhat heavy <laughs> awesome <laughs> and what um, kinds of shifts have you made then on, on the diet side of things to compensate for this sort of rest that now that you have to take not that you're totally resting but it's definitely you've had a downsize well, I mean before I was going, you know, I was going to the gym, like before the, you know, when I was in strongman season, I was at the gym six days a week. And it was basically had three heavy lifting days, quote unquote, and then three strongman specific kind of like technique days. Um, so they were less, uh, less voluminous, less heavy. So I was, but I was still backloading to a degree six days a week. Um, so that was, you know, a lot of additional calories to support that. 
Uh, and since, uh, since I've been down, I mean, I, even before my injection two weeks ago, I was, I was four weeks of, of rest, like no lower body, you know, deadlifts were permitted, but don't do them very often. And so, you know, I was going to the gym three days a week, maybe, and I would backload on those nights only. And if it wasn't a super taxing workout, I would really not backload very much. So there was a big difference in, in my caloric intake. And, uh, I even, I even pared back my, my protein a little bit, um, you know, wasn't lifting weights as much. So I took that back a bit and, it's my body composition. I've gotten smaller. <laughs> That's without question. I've, I've gotten smaller. I went to see my mom the other day and she hasn't seen me in like three months. And she's like, you look leaner. I'm like, I know I look small mom. Thanks. Thanks for bringing it up. I really appreciate it. She's like, yeah, you do look small. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> but my body composition hasn't necessarily changed. I've just, I've definitely lost some muscle mass and um, that's, you know, that's par for the course when you're not putting your body through, you know, all the day in day out weightlifting and the extra carbs, you're going to lose a bit of mass. So I've definitely pulled that back as much as possible to maintain my uh, body comp and it's worked. And I'm really, really excited for later this summer when I can uh, ramp back up the calories because I miss them. <laughs> <laughs> and people, people make that common skid steak. Like even people that actually know quite a bit of nutrition, they, they tend to not um, gauge their carb intake with their training volume, which seems like a pretty simple thing, but people have that oversight all the time. Don't you guys find that when you're working with clients? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, I think it's honestly, it's one of those things where you can convince yourself of whatever you want, you know, like carbs are delicious. And so you can kind of convince yourself that, you know, you need, you need carbs, you know, the, the brain needs glucose and, you know, like, oh, okay, I'll just take down some fats and just, you know, you know, there's things that you can mess around with. But I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you need, you need glucose, you know, for high intensity activity, you know, you, you need it for intensity in the gym, you know, day-to-day -day activities can be supported by other substrates. Like you don't need it. <laughs> you don't need carbs for that. So unless you're cranking it in the gym, you do not need it. So you can convince yourself otherwise, but if you want to maintain your body composition, you have to manipulate your carbs, period. Yeah. Yeah. And training volume, like you said, whether it be from injury or just, you know, life circumstances where you can't, you know, maybe train as hard as you could that day because you have to be somewhere and it's got a time limitation. Well, you just have to learn to adjust accordingly. Oh, exactly. And I, I tell my clients that all the time. It's, you know, here are, you know, here's your plan. Here's the, your ballpark macros, you know, macros are never perfect. Like here's the ballpark you want to shoot for on, on days that you train. But if something comes up and you can't go to the gym, then don't have carbs on that day. Or if, you know, your workout gets cut short, then don't have as many. If your workout was more intense than you anticipated, you know, have a few more, you know, if you're still starving, listen to your body, have a few more, you know, it's, you, you have to learn how to play around with it. You know, the body is a, it's a very dynamic thing. And if you're going to sit there and just have, you know, macros that you, you never change and a caloric intake, that's the same every day, your results are going to suffer because of that. You know, I, I love helping people and trying to quote unquote pinpoint where they should be in terms of macros and calories. But I also tell them that, you know, every day is going to be different and things are going to come up and things are going to change. So you can't stress yourself out if my fitness pal does not read, you know, exactly what is on the plan because life isn't a plan. You cannot control everything and you just have to listen to your body and see what happened throughout the day and, and, and move accordingly. So, yep. So you pointed out something, you know, that you like to help people and get them on track. Do you want to 
maybe summarize a few things for us that you would see like really common mistakes that you find with clients who are trying to implement either carb night or carb backloading. And we can just talk generally. Like you said, we, nothing's perfect, but just in general. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think that this goes back to the article that I wrote this week is, um, you know, there are no shortcuts. You know, pe people think you can take a protocol like carb night or carb backloading and, it's, you know, it's going to be, you know, easy to do and everything is going to be peachy all the time. And you're just like, oh, you know what? Like I can just, it's not on the plan, but tonight I'm going to have like three glasses of wine and, you know, a little, just a few scoops of ice cream. And <laughs> that was Tuesday. And then a couple of nights later, it was like, oh, you know, I was at a friend's place. And so we were having a barbecue. And so I had to have three burgers with the bun. And it's like, okay, you know what, if you're, if you're going to do that every now and then, yes, you can get away with that. That's the beauty of carb backloading and carb night is that if you have an event coming up or something, you can plan that night to be the night where you really get, you know, kind of indulge a bit and it's great. But if quote unquote things come up and <laughs> you don't <laughs> adjust on the fly as you can as a human being, then you're, you're not going to stay on track. You're not going to get the results you want because you're not staying consistent with what you need to do. And I find that that is the biggest thing I find with the majority of clients is that they think because they have this protocol where you can have carbs after night that if it's after 5 p.m. on a night where you should be ultra low carb all day, yeah, I can have a few carbs tonight because I can. It's every now and then, yes. But if the plan is that you're not going to, you know, if you're not a carb night protocol and you're not going to eat carbs six days out of the week, if you're having them three days out of the week, that's not going to get you the results you want. And you again, it's it's really about hearing what you want to hear and you know, you can believe what you want and you know, you can teach yourself to believe things and it's just <laughs> you you have to be as consistent as possible with these if you want to get get the results in the time frame that ideally you want them. You know, people want results yesterday. Um but you can only get those if you're really really on top of things and you, it's, you know, where are your priorities, right? I know it's summer and it's fun to go out and do things, but you know what? You can still go out and do things. It's just, you have to make adjustments, you know, have a lettuce wrap burger or, you know, pass on the beer. Just, <laughs> I know it sucks, but uh, sometimes you have to do it. So it just all depends on where your priorities are at. And I think that consistency is absolutely the biggest key that I see with a lot of people. How, how do you manage your like alcohol intake with social events and how do you feel it affects you? And that's the thing, like right now, I'm admittedly pretty lax on it. Um, just because again, I'm not in the gym doing things I normally would do. My my macros aren't super driven right now for performance and making the gains that I want to make. And I know I'm kind of in a situation right now where I have a bit of leeway. So um, right now I'm going out, I'll have a beer uh, or something socially and then that's no problem. But when I'm in training season, I still go out. I don't, I don't let that change anything i'll go with my friends see my friends i everyone just knows i'm that guy i'm that guy carrying around the glass of water you know mm -hmm. sometimes i'll get us if i'm at a bar i'll get a short glass of water with ice and a lime in it so people think i'm drinking a vodka soda or something and they'll get off my back you know it's just <laughs> there's little things you can do to to make people not care but i, I think the biggest thing is really just owning it just think hey you know i'm not drinking tonight because i'm doing something that i'm really really proud of and i know it's I'm going to do something pretty cool with the effort that I'm putting in right now. And it's really about owning it and not being ashamed of it. There's a lot of fit shaming out there. There's a lot of people out there who 
they you know they haven't committed themselves to trying to and that this is nothing against them but they, they just don't care about their their body composition or their long-term health for those things and that's their prerogative um but if they see you doing that especially in a social setting they'll make a joke about it and you just have to say yeah absolutely like sure i'm getting fit sorry like right. <laughs> i want to be healthy when i'm 70 so i'm gonna make these small sacrifices right now so i think uh, you know i like to tell people but they just need to own it and if someone tries to tell you that you know making yourself healthy or shooting for a, a competition or something is you know something weird or something odd that you shouldn't do that's on them that's not on you good advice i like to think so <laughs> <laughs> Mastering the fake drinking thing is is uh, I find to be very very helpful, oh, especially yes. at the beginning. Absolutely. Especially at the beginning when you're just if, if it's something that you're new to and you know you are a social person and you do like to go out and that's you know that's something that your friends like to do. It just you know if you don't want to have that conversation because it can be a headache, it's a, it's an easy go to. Fake drinking totally oh. is. I had a fake drinking problem for years. <laughs> 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 I really did, which was kind of really wrong because I would fake drink, but then I was the designated driver, and I was like, <laughs> God, people think I'm the, yeah, it's just, but at least it was my good, you know, eventually, you know what I did, I just cleaned up my friends, I was like, okay, I'm only hanging out go. with these people now, and I didn't have to fake drink anymore. <laughs> um, uh, Dana, yes. I had to ask you something totally off topic, but I know it's a question that some of our female lifters um, ask about. I've experienced it myself, and I kind of touched on it in the episode with Jim Laird. But I find that, you know, one of the go-to protocols for people that are looking for something kind of cookie-cutter for strength is 531. And as you know, there's tons of calculators to help you gauge what weights you should be lifting on which weeks, blah, blah, blah. Um, I find with women... Okay, let's so let's say it's their three rep max. I find a lot of women will be able to like crush their three rep max estimated like training uh, goal for like five reps, and they have no problem with that. And then when they load the bar for what might be like their their max for let's say their third wave, so that's like your like the the heaviest wave, mm -hmm. they'll get crushed even though it's only you know, 20 pounds more than what they were hitting five reps with. Mm -hmm. And I find that to be pretty consistent with women where we can slay our three rep max and go over no problem. And then when we add a little bit to the bar, we just get pinned. Mm -hmm. Do you find that to be true? Uh, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And it, it goes back to the, the comment I made earlier about how I rarely use the percentages anymore because yeah. of that like that's exactly what I'm talking about and that's why typically I, I will put clients on a modified you know 531 type plan but it's not I don't make them calculate their percentages I will usually you know based on what they've done in, in previous weeks on those lifts for their first and second sets which are lower percentages I will give them actual numbers that I know they can hit and I know they'll be crisp reps and then after that, going into the third third set, I'll say, all right, you know, based on what your second one felt like, I want you to add, you know, 20 pounds. If, if that feels, if it wasn't hard at all, add 20. If that was still easy, I want you to do another set, adding another 10 on top of that. Because it's, it's like I said, it's, it's never going to be a, a perfect science. Um, sometimes if I have someone who is competing and we want to have a more uh, on-point plan, I will just actually... You know, I'll, usually you work up in this, you know, 70 
75, 80, 85, 90, 95. Those are kind of the numbers you use for the five through one plan. I won't use 95. I'll use 92 or 93 on that, uh, that last week, just so that can ensure that you're going to hit the weight. You're going to hit the number of reps and perhaps you can get even more crisp reps at that weight. And that's going to be more beneficial to you than getting a crappy one rep at 95%, so to speak. So there's, there's different ways to manipulate it, but that's typically what I do. That's awesome. And and it's just good, I think, for our female listeners to hear that because that's like the biggest complaint I hear about from women who are lifting using the 531 template. So I think Mm -hmm. it's just really good advice. So you're basically doing your first and second rep and then just kind of, sorry, first and second set uh, with the set numbers. And then based on how those feels, you're kind of auto-regulating where the last set's going to go. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you you have to remember that you, you need to set yourself up for success. And I do find in general, even men or women, um, you'll often pick a, a working max that's actually too high. You also, yeah. you also, with that kind of programming, have to understand that there's an actual max and then there's a working max. So you never want to work, you know, if you've deadlifted 315, you don't want to use 315 as your maximum weight that you're actually basing things on. You know, you're going to want to use 300 or 295 or something and base percentages off of that. That's going to be your working max. So that's something, you know, for people who've never actually read the, the 531 ebook or don't know it too well, you've got to know that working in lower percentages further away from your max, like around 90% or a little bit lower, that's the money spot for really getting nice, clean, crisp, heavy reps and really making the most gains. Um, you know, you every now and then, you, you know, you got to go for that one rep max. Like, I totally get it. And you're only going to get there if you set yourself up for success and get really good, crisp reps for a while in and around that 90% mark. So, mm, Awesome. That's really, really good advice. And I'm going to stay focused on that too because you helped me a little bit with that a little while back and it's just Mm -hmm. really been a huge advantage for me. And uh, psychologically too uh, for women. I mean, we had this discussion once on this podcast about how we get, you know, we tend to focus on the scale and then we can kind of step away from that and smarten up about that. And then we start putting this extra pressure on ourselves about our one rep maxes. You know, we're just mm-hmm. always putting this pressure on ourselves. <laughs> there's, there's one thing I definitely learned with work, working with women is that women really like numbers. Yes. Really like numbers. <laughs> they want something concrete that they can see to get something out of that, you know. Um, and so because of that, you, you have to understand that you need to set yourself up for success, you know, you, because there's nothing more discouraging and especially with female clients, if you do get pinned, if you, you know, you in your head, you're ready to go for that 315 deadlift and you walk, walk up to it and it goes nowhere. You know, you, you really don't want to mentally psych yourself out. So work with lower percentages, um, really make sure that, you know, if you're going to want to get a 315 one rep max, I want to see you get three at 300 before you do that, because then we all know. Oh, you're going to blow that out of the water. So it's really about setting proper expectations and working, you know, within your means. And then the day will come when you can reap that benefit. That's awesome. I think that's a great way to end this episode with Dane. Some awesome strength advice for women from Strongman himself. Um, Dane, is there anything else you'd like to say? Or Alex Navarro, anything else you want to say before we end the episode? 
Well, it's just been a treat to chat with you ladies today. It's uh, I don't I don't have my own podcast yet, so it's it's a good it's good to to get some airtime, and I don't get to speak to Alex very often when she lives in California. So uh, it's been nice to chat with you ladies today and to uh, share some good information. It was a pleasure having you. Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for being on our show. Pleasure. And that will wrap up another episode of Her Body, brought to you by BodyIOFM. If uh, you're ever interested in checking out Dan's Dan's, uh, articles or learning more about him, you can find him at body.io. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. You've been listening to Her Body IOFM with your hosts, Alex Navarro and Andrea Jengel. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more information about women's health and performance.